Ed, how are you doing? Very good, thank you. Uh, two more wins for United. I mean, Rock on. what's going on? What, 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 what's happening? What, how are we winning all well, these games? The Galluminati is back in action, isn't it? And uh, and uh, United have got the referees to bend all the matches in their favour or something like that. Yeah, although um, Lionel Messi clearly has the referees in his uh, pocket as he was determined to stop at any cost Zlatan Ibrahimovic catching up with him for most goals scored in calendar year 2016. Yes. Uh, well, I guess, I mean, we've mentioned the referees already there. There's, there's two big decisions this week, weren't there? Uh, Mike Dean's decision to send off uh, Sofian Feguli uh, for West Ham for his uh, mm-hmm. uh, interesting-looking tackle on Phil Jones and uh, and uh, Lee Mason's decision to not award Zlatan Ibrahimovic a goal for what looked like a perfectly fair, acrobatic, sort of studs-up goal past Victor Valdez. What were your thoughts on those two big incidents? Um, I thought it should have been a goal and shouldn't have been a sending off, controversially. My my red-hot opinion there is that the referees got both of those two decisions uh, wrong. Uh, what, 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 was, what about you? What's your take? Yeah, certainly Zlatan's was uh, definitely a goal. Nothing wrong with it at all. By the time uh, the two of them collide... Uh, Zlatan's foot is about a foot off the ground and and if anything, Victor Valdez has fouled him. Uh, He's late to the ball. Zlatan's won it by miles. Uh, Perfectly good goal. Completely ridiculous decision. The Mike Dean one, I'm not sure it's as clear cut as that because, you know, for me, that's 100% a Zlatan goal. Um, This one, I mean, Faguli's very, very late. You know, no doubt about that one. Um, Jones is... You know, miles ahead of the ball, and Faguli has both feet off the ground um, when he when he launches into the tackle. So the question is: Is it careless, reckless, or dangerous? And it's probably not dangerous because he's not studs up, which would suggest a yellow card would have been the best decision there. Uh, but reckless, yeah, for sure. Is he in control of himself when he's launched himself? Definitely not. Um, um, and and did he have both feet off the ground? Definitely yes. Genev uh, saying. After the game, involved in lots of controversy, of course, Gene because he spent 20 minutes slagging off the referee and then said, weird how everyone slags off referees on Twitter. Uh, there's more to it than that. But anyway, um, he said one of... It's not the worst decision you've ever seen. The proof of the pudding is that the uh, the FA won't overturn that decision on appeal. And you imagine that they would overturn, in a theoretical world where this could happen, they would overturn the Zlatan goal on appeal. Um I don't think we've ever talked about this in any serious way on the show. It must have come in as a, as a question from listeners at some point. But, of course, inevitably, um, the question of uh, using replay technology is uh, comes up when stuff like this happens. And the goal decision system's been great because uh, it's binary and instant, which is like exactly what you want from uh, automated decision-making systems. Well, what do you think of the whole video replay? Do you think, I mean, it feels at the moment like it would be inevitable. So uh, with something like this last hand goal, you, you could have someone quickly review it. Um, I mean, I guess you'd be talking about having a challenge system of something like that, as they do in cricket and tennis, for example, uh, and even in rugby, actually, you know, where uh, the captain can ask for, at least rugby league, can ask the video review referee, I think, not being a rugby league expert, someone will correct me, no doubt, on that one. Um, uh, so perhaps something like the the red card, 
I, I don't think that's I don't think it's obvious that that should go to video technology at all. I don't, I don't think that one's binary. In fact, the the law that's uh, relevant to this isn't binary either. You know, it's, it's open to how you interpret, and there's guidance how you interpret what is careless, what is reckless, and what is dangerous. Um, and I think from the Mike Dean's point of view, you know, when he's at at man level and in line with Faguli it's probably a perfectly fair decision. Now, you know, you watch it 50 times and in slow motion and stuff like that, and uh, and maybe you interpret it differently. You watch it 50 times in slow motion and you're Martin Keown and you're not able to hide your biases, uh, then you think somehow that Phil Jones was in the wrong, you know? And, and um, you know, we obviously, if we were using video technology or something like that, you have to take all that emotion out of it. There has to be a way of that not creeping in. I, I don't think people would be happier then. Now, all you do is you slow the game down for two minutes or someone looks at it and everyone disagrees with it afterwards as well. Yeah, I think I think it's really tricky, isn't it? Because there are decisions which are just obviously very clear-cut wrong. Now, the Ibrahimovic one, I mean, it's very, very easy for all of us to say he's been absolutely robbed there and, in a way, the game's been... Robbed. I mean, football. The game of football has been robbed of a of a of a great moment there, where one of the best players in the world does something really acrobatic and cool and scores a goal with it. But I do. It's not like I don't have any sympathy for the ref in that position, because there is a point in that move where it looks like Ibrahimovic's foot is heading towards his Valdez's head. You know, because he can get his leg up that high, and it is it is face height. And of course, Ibrahimovic has it completely under control. And like you say, by the time Valdez is actually anywhere near him, he's got his leg right down on the ground. And watching it in slow motion, it's really easy to see that that was the case. But watching it in normal speed, you know, referees make mistakes, fundamental mistakes of um, uh, perception in the sense their literal senses let them down. You know, our eyes don't provide us with a perfect record of what's happening in front of them. You know, they, they provide visual signals which are interpreted at, you know, lightning speed by the brain. And sometimes that's not right, you know. Um, so so I, don't, I don't think the referees are criminal for getting that decision wrong. No, sure. I mean, you know, to shortcut all that, people make mistakes, right? Uh, yeah, Defender yeah. makes mistakes from a, a free kick and doesn't pick up his marker. It's a goal. Uh, striker makes a mistake and shoots wide you know uh, fine fine uh, I think some of them are worse mistakes than others for for me Lee Mason was like the striker missing an open goal from two yards out like Antonio Valencia against West Ham L- that kind of thing yeah um, I, it was funny because up until that point in that game I was thinking oh Mason's giving us a lot of decisions a lot of the little niggly fouls that haven't been going our way this season we, w- we were getting quite a few of them um, and I thought that was interesting. Uh, and then, of course, the big decision, it just... It, 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 should we just talk about that game a bit then, shall we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that that goal not being allowed flattened an already flat atmosphere to be flat as an absolute flat pancake that's just been flattened by a particularly heavy steamroller that's really good at flattening things. Yeah. Driven by Flatty McFlat. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. It was... It was it was seriously flat. It wasn't a great half. It wasn't a great first half from United. It was. It was. Uh, there was no intensity. Uh, they were moving the ball very, very slowly through midfield. Um, it, it's not as if Middlesbrough's tactics could have been a surprise to 
anybody at all. I mean, Klopp called them the most defensive team he's uh, ever played or something like that. And um, and we knew exactly what they do. Didn't he say that about Sunderland? Didn't he say that about Moisey? Isn't that what well, happened? he said it about Millsborough a few weeks back. Oh, <laughs> he okay. said it about Sunderland right. this week. <laughs> no, these this lot are the most defensive team, <laughs> even though they just scored two goals. You know, um, Agent Moyes sticking it to Liverpool. Honestly, that man is a scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, there's no way of talking about Klopp like that. The know. thing he said after that game. Maybe if oh, I yeah. was German, you'd be thinking, oh, he's done something quite good here. It's Genuinely, that's why Brexit happened. That is he, he's the, gone all Brexit. They're oh, coming I mean, over here taking our jobs. And, of course, 65% of people in Sunderland voted for Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> he's yes. in the right place. That's a joke. It's so it's so offensive because, actually, as, as uh, TBN Sport wrote... If I was German and good at my job, you'd be saying I was doing something right here. Uh, anyway, that's uh, not about Borough United. Um, a poor first half, uh, but Paul Pogba hit the post uh, with an overhead kick. That would have been good if that had gone in. Um, uh, although it was offside, hilariously. That would have been amazing if we'd scored another world-class offside goal. I don't think too many of them can happen, can they? Uh, yeah, he he did, and and in fact, in the end, Paul Pogba was completely running the show for for United. Uh, you know, another very good game uh, from him. Uh, the the player, of course, who really stood out in that Borough game, eventually after the flat first half, was uh, Anthony Martial. He was absolutely electric, wasn't he, down the left hand side? You know, the return of Martial. We've been waiting for it, and and he was brilliant. See, I, I would actually say that we had a bad first. 20 minutes really because a lot of what Martial did amazing was in was in the first half because he hit the the post from however far out it was yeah absolutely thunderous shot wasn't it you know he's hit a few of those it's time at United and there's never been one that looked good you know they always go like miles over or kind of limply into the keeper's hand and kind of wonder why he keeps trying it now we know why he's kept trying it because he's got that on his locker in his locker. He has, yeah. And, and you're probably right. It probably wasn't the first, the whole of the first 45. Um, although, of course, you know, goalless at half time. And, and you kind of felt that if United had just moved the ball a little bit more quickly uh, and taken a few of the chances that were created, and we've we've said that a few times this season, then, then it would have been dead and buried by half time. But it wasn't to be. And, and Middlesbrough's goal was, you know, excellently worked, wasn't it? You know, not, not as if they actually deserved that at all barely ventured out of their own half, but a very, very nicely worked goal. Um, and after that, it just didn't look like it was going to happen at all. You know, pounding and pounding and pounding away, but uh, not scoring not scoring no goal, not creating good enough chances, I guess. Um, and some of the uh, dubious referees' decisions, you know, a couple of good penalty shouts in there, weren't there? Um, and eventually it came. Through Route One football, straight up to Zlatan, he flicked it on. Big man, little man trick. He, um, the commentator goes, "This is what on match of the day. This is what United have resorted to now. I'm like we've resorted to an inch perfect pass from the best midfielder in the world to <laughs> a literal headed through ball from one of the world's best strikers to Anthony Martial's finish. I'm not sure we can uh, we can call that Route One." 
No, no, no. I mean, it's it's uh, it's a long pass yeah, from Pogba. A, a beautiful flick on and an excellent first-time finish from Martial. I've got to slightly disagree about the first half in terms of us not moving the ball enough, quickly enough and creating chances and not taking chances because actually the Zlatan goal was in the first half. So really, we definitely should have been 1-0 up having taken a really good chance because, uh, and another word for Martial, um, that Zlatan goal, one of the reasons I think everything felt so flat was because Martial had really been so alive and moving the ball incredibly quickly, hit the post, immediately after that, cuts uh, around the outside, does a few wiggly wigglies, knocks the ball across to Zlatan, and it looked like Martial was just kind of lighting up the place again. Um, he he had a really good opportunity, didn't he, just before he scored, and that was when it really felt like, oh my goodness, is this not our day after all? Um, but I have to say, this is a true story, by the way. I was sitting in the press box and... Um, I had this moment five minutes before the end where we won, went one nil down, where I suddenly pictured someone uh, in the press conference afterwards asking Mourinho, um, "You must be delighted that the boys have shown such good spirit coming back to win two one here." And I really chuckled to myself when someone did actually ask him that question about half an hour later. Um, because they showed amazing spirit immediately after that Martial goal. There was another one. What a header from Paul Pogba. Right into the top corner, yeah. And, um, you know, dif- difficult to control that ball as well. And a uh, lovely piece of work from one matter to get it across. Uh, uh, and, and uh, you know, one you should one thing you should say about um, what happened in that game is that, you know, and we've, we've talked about it a few times on the podcast this season, um, Mourinho's in-game management, you know, he's he's the master of this, so we were told, right? And and we've kind of criticised him for not not feeling like he was making Mourinho-type impact substitutions. Well, uh, we can we can ditch that criticism, can't we? Because the last two games, he's not only has he got it dead right, but it's made all the difference in the world to United's performances. And he's been prepared to be incredibly bold. So the the one real knock against that first half performance you mentioned not moving the ball around quickly enough of course one of the reasons was the opportunity cost the walking opportunity cost that is Marouane Fellaini um he didn't have by his standards a terrible game and yet him being in in the team was a huge part of what was not working but he was the first player that Mourinho took off and it was nil nil at that time and I really thought there was every chance he would take Martial off when he when he was bringing on uh, Mata, but instead he made the really bold attacking move, took off Fellaini, brought on Mata, then went went for it even further, took off uh, one of the centre backs, I think, uh, y- yeah, or yeah, um, yeah, he took off Smalling and um, who interestingly started with uh, with Bailly, so he rested both Rocco and Jones. I asked him about that in the press conference afterwards, and he said. Uh, he'd done that because he knew he was definitely losing Bay, so he was always going to play him in that game. Um, and I suppose he just decided to rest both Rocco and Jones because they played so much. Um, but yeah, uh, bringing on Rashford, I thought was absolutely instrumental uh, in that game. Matter obviously made a telling contribution to the goal, but I thought Rashford that was Rashford's best cameo for absolutely ages. And he, he then was man of the match with a thirty-minute cameo against West Ham. A brilliant couple of games for the youngster. Yeah, it really made an impact. Uh, I mean, you know, look, Fellaini, he just he slows the game down. He's not technically good enough. He's not good with progressive passing. Uh, Mourinho definitely wants United to be more vertical 
in the parlance of of uh, the the day, I suppose, and um, and he's just not he's just not well suited. He's just not well suited to to United. And there were times when he was playing as the deepest of the three midfielders, and times when he's right up front. I mean, he actually had five shots in the game, right? Um, uh, but I I struggled to recall the time he had a real impact. Um, other than a negative one, um, and on the back to the substitutions, I mean, he took Smalling off and went to three at the back, um, and it's really—I just don't remember another time this season when he's—he's—he's he's, he's done a lot of like-for-like substitutions, and a lot of them feel like kind of support science ones, you know, especially with Matter, he's dragging him off on the hour or seventy minutes all the time, and and this felt like he was trying to impact the game in United's favour being a little bolder, you know, and he, he talked about it afterwards, didn't he? He, you know, and, uh, you know, basically uh, with with Mkhitaryan playing at left back and Valencia at right back, you know, United were playing sort of a 2-3-5 by the end of the game and, um, you know, really hammering away and deserved the win. It was, absolutely. I mean, it was Fergie's 75th birthday and we did that. I mean, it was perfect. It was just perfect. And from being flat... That's definitely the best atmosphere inside Old Trafford this season, that last five minutes. It was just like, oh my goodness, are we back? I think we might be back. We're back. We seem to be back. What's going on? Are we back? It was it was electric. It was absolutely electric in there. I was sat in line with Paddy Querand, who uh, was on doing comms for MUTV and just stood up, both hands in the air, kind of slight, not quite jumping around because he's a, an older gentleman now, is Paddy, but... Uh, Fully celebrating that goal. It was good. Yeah, it was very good. And um, more evidence uh, of Pogba's rise to, you know, if not the best central midfielder in the world, close to it. You know, and I'm beginning to feel that not only did United get a steal paying 90 million for Pogba, but, you know, could have paid significantly more and it's still being good value. Uh, players of this class make a massive difference. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I don't know if it was man of the match against Borough. He might have been. Uh, it was definitely man of the match. Yeah, he was. He was. I'd give him man of the match against Borough, and then uh, uh, I don't Rashford against West Ham. I think everyone looked pretty tired against West Ham, but Pogba was was good again, and and against Borough he was just vital, and then scored the winner as if to prove how vital he was. Um, Martial, you mentioned how good he was. Mourinho was asked about that in the post-match press conference and uh, I think he made everyone in the room's ears prick up with his answer. He was asked if that was the best game Martial had had for him and he said, Martial has to listen to me, not his agent. And he was talking talking right. about how all the way through the Mkhitaryan saga, uh, Raiola was on the phone to him every day or several, you know, often saying, don't worry, I know you're going to make Mickey better, it's fine. We're not worried. No one's worried here. And instead, he's seeing with Martial in the stories about Sevilla and moves on loan and his agent talking and talking. And I have to say, I think Mourinho's got this one right. I think it's worth saying it publicly. Well, it certainly comes to something if you're going to take that course of action. And you have to you have to feel that... I mean, it's, it's a bit of a gamble, isn't it? Because if the player reacts badly to it, uh, then he's going to be ending up out of the club. Um, and And, you know... It doesn't look like it's coming to that. It doesn't look like it's coming down to a Torre City Mexican standoff, does it? Um, and you know, in and in terms of Martial versus Mourinho, there's only going to be one winner if it ever came to that, anyway. And I, I hope, I hope the performance uh, against Middlesbrough shows that you know he's back on the right track. It was 
definitely a surprise that he wasn't in the lineup against West Ham. And I guess it could have been only could have been fatigue. I mean, he's not played a lot of games this season. So it's not as if he's he's over the top on the amount of minutes he's played. Um, but I'm going to assume it's fatigue and a little bit of tactical stuff because, you know, Jesse Lingard coming in is a very, very sound defensively and tactically in an away game. Uh, yeah, the other thing is a lot of people pointing out that actually after all the subs had been used, Martial took a really heavy knock against Borough. Um, and it wasn't long after that, of course, the West, West Ham game. Um, so maybe maybe something to do with that too. Well, he's not fit. He's not on the bench. I'm not sure if I necessarily buy that one. Um, but yeah, f- fatigue, tactical, mix of both. Who knows? Um, hopefully that doesn't have a negative reaction on the player though. And he... You know, he's back for the the game at the weekend against Reading because he certainly deserves it. He deserves some time, doesn't he? Because we know how talented he is and and, it will be a huge boost to United if he's back and back in the form of last year because that's a kind of Mkhitaryan-style boost if we get that, isn't it? Well, yeah, and it was against Borough, wasn't it? It it was that level of impact. Um, And without him in the team, that, that game would have looked really different. It was so exciting. It was a great, it was a really exciting game all the way to the end of that game. Um, and obviously it had that, that kind of blockbuster finish that we associate with United. And and it, it did have a special feeling. And like you say, the Mourinho substitutions, both against Borough and against West Ham, the, and that and his team selections, he's getting a lot right during this run. This run isn't just happening, is it? You know, it's like a lot of the things that people have asked for for ages, the switch to 4-3-3, the more progressive use of substitutes, the kind of more fluid selections up front. All of these things are happening and, and that's seven wins in a row now, six wins in a row in the league. I mean, we're still sixth, but we're like not many points off people a lot further ahead of us now. Right. Only a couple of wins off being third. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, of course, if, if Jose had been listening to this podcast from about week one or two of the season, we could have told him all this already. It's taking him a little while. You know, he's a bit, he's a bit slow on the uptake of Jose, but he's, he's slowly coming right. Um, the switch 4-3-3, uh, the, you know, use of attacking players seems to have found a good balance at the back. Luck more than judgment, perhaps, but, you know, now judgment. Um, particularly the decision to bring Michael Carrick back in sort of November um, you know, it's gonna, he's, he's going to have to use Carrick right towards the end of the season because he's a massive difference for United, huge, huge difference. Um, not only is he making United a better defensive side, but a much better attacking side, and he's he's able to release so much more in Paul Pogba. So, you know, there are things that he's made changes to, and, and the decision to drop Rooney um, now doesn't seem that controversial, does it? You know, despite all the talk at the time, it's clearly the right one. Um, all of this is playing in in Jose's favour and and he's made the big decisions he had to. United probably will pay um, for the start of the season, though, you know, and the the number of defeats, at least in terms of a title challenge. Um, We'll see if it impacts on the top four. You know, some of these decisions could have been made earlier and they could have made a material difference, perhaps. Yeah, that's the thing, though, isn't it? We there was a lot going on earlier, and he's shifted through it and got to good outcomes, and that's you know that's good. And I think the other thing that we really should talk about is the style, because uh, you know this was a big a big harping talking point for a lot of people, and I don't think you can compare the style of attacking football, even with his Chelsea team when they were really dominant, 
there is a kind of muscular, purposeful, exciting dynamism to United's attack. There is a kind of relentlessness about the attacking football that I don't really, I didn't really associate with that Chelsea team. That Chelsea team, this team does not look like at 2-0 up, it's just going to park the bus and settle for 2-0 and rest on the pitch and all that. Wow. I mean, to an extent, maybe. Maybe it's just because we've hardly ever been 2-0 up. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I think he deserves, I think, I don't see why he doesn't deserve credit for the style of play, which I think has been very exciting to watch. It is exciting to watch because United are having a lot of shots and, and, uh, and creating a lot of chances. Right? I mean, they're definitely more direct. And I don't, I don't mean that in terms of playing long ball football, just they get the ball from back to front much, much more quickly. I mean, any team would get it from back to front more quickly than Van Gaal's side, but but just quickly. Um, and, yeah, that makes it fun to watch. It's never going to be the kind of beautiful tiki-taka Barcelona-style football. But, you know, we weren't asking for that. Uh, I don't think fans at United have ever expected that kind of football. Uh, we had a variant of that with Van Gaal, uh, a kind of slow motion variant of it with backwards passing. Um, but, uh, you know, we want we want vibrant, attacking, bold football and, and we're getting there now. Now, you know, I wouldn't go over the top of that analysis because I don't think we've had that all the way through the season and we didn't have it for all of the game against Middlesbrough. It was quite slow for a lot of that first half. Um, and it really took going behind to uh, up the intensity. I mean, that last half hour is magic, right? But yeah. it wasn't like that the whole way through. And there's some good, there's some very good um, uh, psychological analysis of this that people f- remember the end point of any experience and the key highlights, right? They forget everything up to that. Um, and, it, you know, it's shown time and time and time and time again. Um, and uh, so remembering the fantastic goal at the end in the last 30 minutes uh, will wipe out your memory of the first hour or so. Right Drop on. that for a second and think about it again. You know, were very, very slow for that first half hour, as slow as they were quick and direct in the last half hour. So, yeah, I mean, United had uh, more than 30 shots in that game and they had nine shots in the first half an hour. Then between the half an hour and the 60-minute mark, they had, let me have a look quickly, they had 12 shots in that period. And then between the 60th minute and uh, and the final whistle, they had 12 shots. So it, it, it did speed up the kind of chance creation or, or shot creation, at least, as the game went along, but not by that much. Wow. 30, 33% increase. Yeah, uh, um, okay, yeah, yeah, that's not bad. But three more shots in half an hour. Um, one more... A 33% one increase. One more shot every 10 minutes. Um, hey, three shots was about all we averaged under Van Gaal. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, this is true. This is true. So, you know, I, I just think, I think I kind of know, I kind of hear what you're saying and I don't entirely disagree that the, maybe the very start of that game uh, was a bit shaky, but we'd hit the post and had a disallowed goal. We'd hit the post twice and had a goal disallowed in the first half an hour, in the first half. So I I, I think it was pretty attacking. Oh, okay, let me put it another way. If United had played with the same intensity as the last half hour, in the first half hour, the game would have been over in 30 minutes. Uh, Yeah, okay. So, so, so as a, you know... As a as a team, we haven't quite hit those levels of intensity, and that's what 
Mourinho's Chelsea team actually did. You know, they beat a lot of teams in the first half hour. And he did shut games down after that. They actually scored 110 goals in one season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and he's done that at Real Madrid as well. So um, it's it's uh, it's only a couple of seasons at Inter and his last one at Real Madrid where they're a bit more me- negative. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's just all I'm saying is there's a little way to go before we, we talk about United being sort of peak United under Mourinho. Oh, I'm, I'm uh, not talking and, about... and we'll see how far we get to the, towards that by the end of the season, of course. But I'm not, I'm not talking about uh, peak performance. I'm talking about intention and style of play. Um, and there was a lot of doubts about what the nature of his style of play was. And I think it would take a very cynical reading of the season so far to say that he hasn't made a conscious effort to adapt to the fact that he's Man United manager. And some has, he has, I think, my reading of it is he has some internal pressure, maybe even some external pressure in terms of the people giving him the job in the first place to um, make some sort of statement of intent about attacking play. Um, that's that's my take on it anyway. He talks about it a lot. He does. And I know it's just talk, but he does talk about it a lot. So it's clearly on his mind. Uh, we've hardly talked about West the West Ham game, have we? I guess we should cover that too. Now, two, coming two days after Borough, uh, now there was a game where people weren't moving the ball around quickly enough. And it was like, I mean, I have to say, I don't think that's Mourinho or the team's fault. I think that's the notion that it's somehow okay to play two professional football matches in three days. Uh I think uh, Renter God Bray would have something to say about that, wouldn't he? Yeah, and I, I strongly suspect I would agree with him. I don't know about you. Yeah, I, clearly. If I, I mean, both teams had played a couple of days beforehand. Uh, quite a number of United's players looked tired and leggy. I mean, Herrera and Pogba were looking you know, not as zippy as normal, were they? Um, and a few others throughout the team. I mean, he made five changes uh, to the team that faced Borough, so he freshened things up a little bit. He'd made five changes for the team for the Borough team from the, the previous match. Um, so he's he's using his squad more heavily than mm-hmm. he might have done through some of the run of the last little 13 games or so, you know, the unbeaten yeah. period, yeah. Uh, which is very sensible. He'll make a similar number of changes against Reading, maybe even more, um, and then against uh, Hull in the, uh, the League Cup after that, you know. So uh, fair enough, he's using the squad and he should do. But uh, yes, they looked a bit tired. It was a bit flat. Um, as a whole, uh, funny, you know, I talked about this last week, uh, West Ham fans. Uh, I said, yeah, they we're, we're enemy number one, and you were like, oh, they don't, they might have something to say about that with Tottenham and Chelsea and so on. Um, it's been like a morgue, the Olympic Stadium uh, all season, uh, except when West Ham fans are beating each other up. Uh, and suddenly they find an atmosphere and care about a football game. Funny that, isn't it? Yeah, I was um, mostly. I'm going to say that at least a bit of that was about Mike Dean. To be fair. Um, it definitely seemed to change the nature of the atmosphere inside the stadium with Faguli sending off. There was a, a sense of injustice, I think. Yeah, well, they can go stick their injustice. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not bitter about West Ham 995, Andy Cole, or anything like that. <laughs> of course not. The whole game was not much of a spectacle uh, and until late on, and United were really lucky. I mean, actually, um, I, it was sort of similar to the uh, Adama Traore who was, was really good, actually, for Burrow. Gave Daly Blind a torrid time. I thought of you when he knocked the ball past Daly Blind, went round him, knocked the ball back on the other side of Blind, and then round him again just to prove that he could, all before Blind had caught up with him. Um, 
Uh, I think most people would lose a, a running race to Adam Traore, to be fair. But anyway, but when he kind of uh, broke through in the first half and f- had players to his left and right and decided to shoot for yeah. reasons only known to himself, surely. Uh, but it was similar again. Uh, the, the, I can't remember who it was that had the chance for West Ham. Uh, not the one where De Gea made the good save, but the the one in the second half where De Gea didn't even have to make a save because they just knocked it straight at him. Yeah, I can't remember who that was. I mean, De Gea made four very smart saves in that game and, and he was the player that Mourinho ran to first uh, when the game was finished. You know, match-winning saves from De Gea and he's not had to make too many of those in recent games, but a really vital contribution. And, and West Ham, you know, they as the game went on and they spent 75 minutes without a full complement of players, didn't they? Um, I thought they had some very good spells in the game. You know, they were they were game and, and it kind of showed that they um, have been in slightly better form of late. Not enough, of course. Uh, definitely not if they've got European ambitions and stuff. But um, but yeah, no, I, I, but enough to save Billich's job, you would imagine, uh, for the time being. Um, then, then Mourinho made the changes again. And I mean, imagine how delighted he would be just brings on Rashford and Mata and they combine for a goal. Absolutely perfect. It was interesting. Uh, Mata was standing with Reef Farrier for ages, looking at um, kind of uh, documents and like taking really specific instructions in a way that I haven't seen that much of this season. Talk about the kind of attention to detail that you associate with Mourinho and the kind of peak Mourinho. Uh, he was asked after the game what, what instructions he'd been given and uh, he was clearly, he clearly didn't give a full answer to that question, but he said, you know, the... He he just said in passing, there were some spaces. And I think that the management team had said to him, look, this is where the spaces are. Exploit it, because he's obviously the kind of player that can do that. And uh, when Rashford looked up, he saw Mata in acres of space. And it, it was, you know, it's the kind of thing that Mata does so, 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 so well, isn't it? Right. Gets into the right place. And, and uh, he's a very, very composed finisher. That's why he has he puts up very good numbers. I mean, not too many goals this season. Oh four or something like that. Um, but uh, throughout his career, he's scored plenty. Uh, uh, yeah, um, real impact. And Mourinho was asked after the game about the decisions. And he was what? <laughs> yeah, the decision to bring on Rashford and uh, Juan Mata. Yeah, worked out very well. Thank you very much. <laughs> it was good. Classic good Mourinho. Line. Good line, yeah. Uh, yeah, in-game management. That's that's all we expect from Mourinho. You know, and, and uh, I thought Karanka talked about it before the Middlesbrough game. He said he's the best. He's the best at that. He spots he spots the thing that nobody else does. Use the anecdote um, about Real Madrid. They were going to bring on a striker for Karim Benzema in, in uh, the game against United a few seasons back. And then he got sent off and he made a decision in 10 seconds to bring on Luka Modric, who, of course, won the game for them. You know, And that's what Mourinho's known as. And we hadn't seen much of it. And, and now we're getting it. And it's good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was funny being in, being in the press conference with Vital Karanka when he was talking about Mourinho was hilarious. Because it was just like, he's my best mate, I love him, he's my best mate, over and over again. It was like Sam Allardyce talking about Fergie. It was it was proper, uh, proper man love. Uh, and they were both late to the press conferences because they'd been hanging out with each other instead. Um, but yeah, that was it was nice to see. Uh, it comes across really well, Karanka does. And he is doing a pretty good job at Borough, isn't he? Yeah, I suspect he's uh, going on to bigger and better things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mourinho will be recommending him for the United job. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm not sure that we should uh, we should uh, take recommendations from ex-managers. 
didn't work out too well. Uh, yeah, that's, you know, David Moyes. We're talking about David Moyes' sort of Brexitism, his, his, you know, UKIP vote. Didn't he only get the United job because he's Scottish? So offensive. It's so offensive. And, and like, most of the stuff we talk about with David Moyes is, like, what he's doing. There's nothing that wrong with anything that he's doing. But this... This is actually an insidious, borderline evil. I'm not saying he's borderline evil, but this is a borderline evil idea. This is an idea on which evil has certainly flourished in recent history. The idea that the foreigner is treated more favourably than the native son, you know. And with Moyes, who got the Man United job in spite of never having won anything, it's an absolute joke he should be he genuinely should be ashamed of himself for having uttered those words he should look long and hard in the mirror and be ashamed of himself wow a couple of stints on full-time devils and you turn into a ranter i like <laughs> come it. on now come on now I've, this is this is called the rant cast no um this is the only ever occasionally accurately named but it's true you know it, it, it's 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 a it's genuinely bad what he said there and it's because it's football we all brush it off and whatever but this is the lie that they're coming over here and stealing our jobs being yeah. you know repeated around the world no no i i, I agree with you it's, it's extremely insidious um Bilic, after the west ham game had a lot of things to say as well no, nothing quite that insidious but uh he certainly played on this kind of i mean it's easy to play victim isn't it uh, against manchester united you're going to get the headlines that somehow united get all the decisions and I thought it was interesting in sort of social media. Uh, there were a couple of articles, one in the Manchester Evening News, a couple of other people done their own lists of how many decisions might have gone against United this season, a few big ones, and Mourinho has talked about it in the past, you know. And I, I think it's easy to trade in conspiracies, the easiest one of which is to say that United get the favourable decisions. It's nonsense, of course. Um, why should Manchester United get, you know, the best decisions at West Ham why should there be a conspiracy? They got the rub of the green on a big one. Um, uh, so Bilic played that one. You know, maybe he has to because he's under some pressure because, you know, West Ham have sunk quite a bit this season. I mean, there were three United players offside for our second goal as well. Well, no, only one. <laughs> only one's active. Um, so the, the alignment can uh, ignore Pogba and, and uh, whoever the other third one was. Um, and with Zlatan... Well, he's walking back and his back foot is in line with the West Ham player and his front foot is well ahead and his body's obviously well ahead. So, you know, he's offside, but it's not two yards offside. Uh, well, no, because you can be offside if any part of the body that can score a goal is offside. So whatever the furthest forward bit of his body was, was quite a long way offside anyway, wasn't it? So. Well... I don't know. I'm just measuring my own body here. I, I, I'm going to guess I'm about 40 or 50 centimetres wide. He's a big lad, though, That's isn't about he? How far he's off. a big lad. <laughs> well, he's a bit like upwards. Yeah. And widewards as well. He is massive. He's a giant human. And um, we were talking before the show because uh, there was a stat going around on Twitter today that Zlatan Ibrahimovic, I laugh when I say this, has missed just 36 days from injury in his career. Just missed just 36 games through injury in his career. Now, whether or not um, the transfermarket.co.uk data is correct or not, I couldn't tell you, uh, but that definitely backs up that statistic. It's ridiculous. The man is a machine. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm not saying this is a coincidence, but he did play at Barcelona for a year. <laughs> he did. But 
Dr. Feelgood Fuentes. Just saying. Pep's not feeling good, is he? Uh, Pep's not feeling good at all. Pep's gone a bit raffer. He's cracking up a little bit. That uh, that interview with the BBC. Was it BBC or Sky? Uh, yeah, BBC. BBC. No, Damien Johnson That's right. the BBC. Really, really bizarre. Really bizarre. Not normal behaviour. Not very classy at all. Um, and I'm not quite sure what he was trying to get out of it because it sounded like it was a bit planned. You know, I, I think it's funny to say he's cracking up. He's probably not cracking up. Um, uh, uh, Damien Johnson saying on Twitter that afterwards he said, it's not personal. What's he trying to achieve? Yeah, I mean, it almost looked like... It looked maybe like there was they were talking across purposes or something. Like somehow he'd he'd thought that the journalist was being narc. And Damien Johnson is is a he's a nice guy. You know his persona is as a nice guy. He's not like a horrible. He's not Jeff Shreves. You know um, it didn't look or sound like he was trying to wind him up. I think Johnson gets a little bit on the defensive when Guardiola is clearly in a massive huff and he's like, "You won the game. <laughs> you, you don't seem very happy." Because <laughs> I. I I kind of had to double check whether they'd won uh, when I saw that interview. Because I saw the interview yeah. before I saw the highlights of the game. Very, very peculiar. No, and then AS comes out with a story uh, saying it's uh, it's a bit of Brexit um, in the coverage of Pep Guardiola, suggesting that it's you know some kind of hatred of foreigners uh, that's uh, precipitating negative press for Guardiola. I mean, hang on a minute. Uh, I I I think he's been very well shielded. Uh, by his reputation um, at City. I don't think he's got a lot of stick. His City side defend like a pub team, you know, for for the for what they're doing, given the amount they've, you know, just spent £50 million on a defender, for God's sake, and that was before spending £30 million on Otamendi. Um, uh, for what they've achieved defensively this season, I think they've had it quite easily off the press, you know. Uh, Mourinho got a hell of a lot more stick in the early part of the season. So, yeah, I, I think Pep's getting, you know, a pretty fair deal. There's the the article that did the, the rounds today um, with a confidant at Pep saying that Pep sees Manchester City as a Villarreal-type side. And that went down well with some United fans, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, that's about right, except Villarreal with the Real bit being the royal family, you know, which... Obviously, the Abu Dhabi royal family in City's case. That, that'd be about right. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's... This is, as we so often say on the show, this is not binary. Because it's not like there aren't people in the British football establishment who would be falling over themselves with schadenfreude if Pep couldn't cut it on a wet and Wednesday night in Stoke. You know, this is this is the dream for a certain kind of proper football man. But then also there are a lot of people who are fully paid up members of the cult of Pep Guardiola and plenty of grey area in between those two polar opposites. So I think it is fair to say that there is a component of British football culture that wants to see this modern tippy-tappy nonsense cut out, you know, uh, and brought down a peg or two by the magic of the Premier League or whatever. But also, as you say, like, if you compare the response to him his team struggling to the response to United struggling. It's been markedly different. Right. Um, anyway, so look, two wins for United. Uh, this is good, isn't it? I mean, it's very good. And uh, we haven't had this kind of run for five years. And uh, it doesn't look like ending soon. You'd expect United will come on to this in a little bit. We'd expect United to to beat uh, Reading and Hull uh, in the Cup. I mean, albeit with some changes. 
you know, rightly there should be some changes for those games. And then Liverpool next is a big one. This is going to be a real test because, you know, United haven't played a top side in this this run. Just Spurs. Uh, Spurs at home. Just, just Spurs. Okay, Spurs at home, yeah. Spurs, pretty good side. Um, of which United are now drawing level on points with. Um, and, uh, and, you know, Liverpool at Old Trafford, big test. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and um, and we'll, we'll have a lot to say about that probably in next week's show as we do a, f- a full preview of that after the cup games. Um, uh, should we take some questions for listeners in the meantime? Let's do it. <laughs> um, wait a minute. I just, I think I was beeped, bleeped in last week's podcast, according to at Jaffo. I don't know what I said, but it definitely wasn't a word that you'd have to bleep. <laughs> Maybe Tom just put it in the wrong place when he was trying to bleep Ed. Apologies to anyone that was listening with young children uh, to that show. It went a bit wrong. I just I stopped then, Ed, because I'm not going to lie. And please feel free to leave this in, Tom. Fully expected Ed to just insert a random swear word for no reason there. <laughs> would, would I do something like that? I've learned my lesson. <laughs> I am not going to swear. <laughs> at Errol22D says, I backed United at 1-0 down against Borough and we turned, a ba- turned it round for the first time in a long time. Are we back? And then he said, great show, thumbs up. I'm just including that for full disclosure. Yeah, I think we, I think we might be good again. Just, I think um, we might be good again. I've got, I've got a little we'll, inkling. We'll see if we go bad again soon, but for now we're definitely good again. Three uh, points off third. Three points off, you know, five off second. Not, not bad at all. You know, we were talking about what par would be over the festive season and we've just won every game. Like, all of them. All of them. Plenty of banana skins in there. Just won them all. Just won all those games. Birdied every hole. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is there anyone in the game who could be the true heir to the number seven jersey at Old Trafford? Says at Special K underscore 2311. Yes, there is. But we had him and we let him slip through our fingers. Well, I, d- I don't know. Bebe wasn't that good. That's what I was going to say. Playing his trade in Portugal, knocking in screamers into the top corner from 30 yards every other game. Uh, the boy Bebe, the natural heir. The fact that Ferguson didn't give Bebe the number seven shirt is why the number seven shirt has been cursed. Very true. There's that other chap over at Real Madrid as well. He, he might come back one day. What, the, that old guy? Yeah, just signed a five-year contract, another five-year contract, so he'll be at Real Madrid for some time to come, I guess. Nah, nah, he loves Man United. He's coming home any minute. That's what he really wants. What What do you think of the uh, supposed 300 million euro bid for Ronaldo? They, they, they'd have paid him a million pounds a week. It's good, isn't it? I mean, Tevez has gone there and everyone's going, oh, oh, he said he wanted to go home, but now he's gone to China. I'm like... All right, all right. When you've been offered 600 grand a week and turn it down, you can say something about that. But he's been offered 600,000 pounds every week. That's like, it's not easy to turn that down. Uh, Yeah, Ronaldo, um, I mean, I think it was on Second Captains where they were saying, you know, if you're Messi or Ronaldo, you're at least saying to your agent, look, just just find out how much they would pay us. It's a hell of a lot of money, and, and the, for money. Tevez, there's a huge transfer fee involved as well, which is bizarre given his age. Well, I'd read that, and I'd also read that there wasn't, so it was very confusing, that situation. Um, Oscar, of course, has gone there in his 
something like his prime. Yeah, and look like looks like Axel Witzel is is going to China as well in his prime. So it's it's no longer just old men and, and Brazilians. Um, money talks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if an actor was to play Jose Mourinho in a film about his United managerial reign, asks at across the keeper, who would it be? It's still got to be George Clooney. It's the only casting that makes sense. He's got the hair. He's got the charisma. It all works. Maybe Liam Neeson, you know, seeking revenge <laughs> on the, everyone in the game who's wronged him. I've got a certain set of skills, mostly substitutions and being angry. <laughs> well, you know, at least one of those skills would be very useful in a Liam Neeson yeah. film. Uh, at level two, Rogue says, which teams above us do you think we've got the best chance of chasing down for a top four finish? And I, I think it's actually a really great question and not a comfortable question either because even though we've narrowed that gap considerably, there is still a gap. And at some point, we're going to stop winning every game. Yes, but so, so might others as well. So, uh, I mean, you know, look, there's a win between... Tottenham, Arsenal and Manchester City and United, right? That's it. One win any other way. Um, and they're all flawed, you know, mm. all all of them. Arsenal, spirit and manager. Arsenal. Manchester City, yeah. their ability to defend. Um, uh, Liverpool, their ability to defend. I mean, obviously, they score a bag of go- bag load of goals. You know, it's Chelsea that look uncatchable at the moment. We'll see whether that continues forever. At the moment, they're, they are defensively great. And very good going forward as well. Um, but, yeah, Spurs, Arsenal, City, Liverpool, they've all got flaws. So have United, of course. But it, yeah, it only needs absolutely. two of them to not be perfect from the... or be one point less perfect than United from here to the end of the season uh, for United to get into that top four. It's looking so much better than, you know, a month ago where we were looking at a sort of nine... and possibly if the Tottenham game had gone the other way, 12-point gap to the top four. Um so, so which of the two teams, to answer Phil's question, which of the two teams do you think it will be that we, we've got the best chance of overhauling? Um, uh, Spurs and Arsenal, probably. Um, mm. You know, City look more flawed than Arsenal, but they've got a better squad. Mm. You know, you've got you to gotta think that it's going to be more likely they get it right. Of course, Arsenal always finish in the top four. Maybe this year they don't. Uh, the... There's so much quality in both of those sides, though, even though they're flawed and struggling. But, like, Sanchez and Ozil and... What you need in these tight situations is game-changing players, and it will be really fascinating to see if Gabriel Jesus um, settles in quickly at City, because uh, I think he could... If he does, he'll have a big bearing on on the, on the on whether it's them or another team. Yeah, we'll see. He's a young player coming from South America into the Premier League. Uh, you know, uh, every cliche would say that he might struggle a little bit. At first, he was great in the Olympic tournaments. The only time I've ever seen him. Uh, can't pretend to be an expert on Brazilian football, but he was very good for Brazil during the Olympics. Excuse me. At Martin Forsland says, will Jose's lack of rotation in central midfield prove costly? Some starting to look tired, yet the alternatives are few. Yeah. I think that's one of our, you know, you were talking about flaws. I feel like that's one of ours covering central midfield. Doesn't take long for Mauro and Fellaini to get a start. No, and and Schneiderlin and and Schweinsteiger basically frozen out. Uh, I mean, it's it's if you were going to fix something during the transfer window, that would be number one, wouldn't it? I mean, if if Schneiderlin is definitely going to go and and Schweinsteiger would go, we've got a bid. I mean, it doesn't look like he's getting anywhere near a game, does it? Um, You'd you'd 
you know, you'd ship both of those out and you'd want another central midfielder. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, interesting that Schweinsteiger got on the bench ahead of Schneidlin for the West Ham game. Uh, no, for the Borough game. Sorry. Yeah, well, you know, bids for Schneidlin this week from West Brom and Everton, it seems. United holding out for a bit more money. I think that's right, given the general level of inflation. Is Schneidlin suddenly £10 million worse a player than when United bought him? I don't think so. He's just not as good as the options that United have got in midfield. Talking of options, at Arnav Kumar says, remember Ashley Young? (laughs) Yeah, I remember Ashley Young. I forgot all about him. Yeah. Uh, is he out of contract at the end of the season? I mean, either way, it's his last season at United, isn't it? Surely. I, I'm almost sure Van Gaal gave him a three-year deal. <laughs> it's great. Our football team's great. Um, all right. I think we've had this question before, but I'm going to do it again just in case. Um, at Brian Fury 94 says, what's your favourite kit in the past 20 years? It's the 94-95. No, 93-94 kit, I think. They might be the same, actually. But laces across the top. That, yeah. That, that print, sharp, colour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 99 kit was pretty nice, I mean, with the white collar. Um, it's pretty un- it's, it's, it's uncomfortable okay. if you wear it, I have to say. It's kind of chokes yeah, you around the neck. Like, it always lo- kind of looks uncomfortable, that's why I don't like uh, it. I mean, for uh, some, some, for some randoms, um, I like the kit that United wore to win the 1991 um Rumbleys Cup. Cup. That's a terrible kit. <laughs> terrible, terrible kit. It's, a, it's an absolute <laughs> classic. I will not have a word said against that most 90s I think of we should objects. bring it back. I mean, just as a retro thing to do. Um, there's almost certainly one in the uh, in the club shop because uh, they have that retro section there, don't they? And um, no, I was thinking for the, uh, the Cup Winners' Cup final, the all-white kit. Very nice, very smart, I thought. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, that is a belter. It really is. And just is. for nostalgic I mean, value, I quite like the green and the green and yellow uh, they yeah. wore for the one season, especially that, you know, remembered for Eric Cantona's chip against uh, Crystal Palace, I think, or Wimbledon. T- Can't talking, remember. Of, talking of kits that are remembered for a chip, um, an Eric Cantona chip, the Eric Cantona chip against Sunderland kit, uh, 97, I think. Uh, an absolute beaut, that full Eric Cantona collar magic kit. You know, I mean, I like all the classics. I like your your black third kit sharp view cam job, you know. I, I tell you one thing I can say for sure is that uh, my favourite United kits are all either sponsored by Sharp or no one. Like, nothing in the post-Sharp era cuts it for me. No, I mean, last year's kit wasn't bad apart from the monstrosity of a logo. I mean, anything they do now is cheapened by... Uh, the Chevrolet logo across the front, because it just looks cheap. The, the thing about the word sharp is it actually means something other than just the brand. So, like, right. you know, that sort of works. Uh, I remember I remember being confused and somewhat disgusted when we got rid of sharp and started being sponsored by Vodafone. I was very... It was really unsettling, that was. I didn't like it. I, I do love that uh, brilliant uh, team photo or promo photo <laughs> where they're wearing their kit with all the electronics around them. And, of course, it looks just wonderful dated yeah. now with, you know, oh, cutting edge, Betamax video player. Just run Atkinson and a microwave, basically. <laughs> Both, uh, all, everything on that is particularly dated. Ron Atkinson's opinions, the the consumer goods, the whole lot, the haircuts. A friend of the show, Mary, says, where does Pogba rank among Europe's best midfielders? I mean, he's right up there 
um, with uh, you know central midfielders with Luka Modric, who's been brilliant again this season. Iniesta is obviously getting a bit older now, but still uh, massively effective. Verratti at, at PSG, uh, right up there with all the best, probably the best. Um, but you know, to really seal that deal, he needs to win some things with United. Yeah, I mean, I'd love Modric and like having Modric and Pogba in the same. T- no, actually. Shh, shh, shh. Don't give anyone ideas. Shh, shh, shh. We've only <laughs> yeah. just gotten back. Let's not talk about that. Um, uh, all right. In fact, this is going to be the last question because I think it's a brilliant question. There's loads of great questions that we've not got time to get to this week. Uh, so I'm sorry about that. But um, at Ed P. Gleason says, of all the players purchased since he left, which ones do you think Fergie would have bought and made a success? I think Fergie would have loved to have Pogba back. Um, I think that's pretty clear. Uh, I think I think this might just be because I love him, but I think Fergie would have loved under Herrera. Yeah, I, I think he probably would have. I, I mean, I can't really think of a, a a Ferguson midfielder that he really resembles. Honestly, I mean, he's he's just a little bit different. I mean, he's he's like you know he's he's what Liam Miller was supposed to be. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, you know, I'm qualifying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, maybe he's what Jemba Jemba was supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, they were both supposed to be the new Roy Keane. Um, I, and Herrera's not the new Roy Keane. He's his own player and a very, you know, specific type of player. But, uh, you know, a great one to watch. And, and isn't it great to see him doing so well at United under Jose? Yeah, uh, Luke Shaw as well. I'm sure Fergie would have loved uh, working with Luke Shaw. That seems like a, a very natural fit there. Uh, yes, he does. Let's hope Luke Shaw's back soon. He, you know, Mourinho talked about him in the, the pre-Millsborough press conference and, and said he's not ready, but he's training. So... It'd be good to, if it'd be good if he listens to Mourinho and not his agent. They just all need to listen to Mourinho and not their agents. Well, he, it's what they've all got to do. He also needs, needs to listen less to his stomach. Come on now, listen. He's a professional athlete, that man. He, he, don't you know? He hired a fitness coach for the summer in Dubai. Yeah, he, he may should, have heard yeah. that story. Yeah, I've heard that story. I wonder what he was doing in Dubai. Uh, he should hire Zlatan's fitness coach. Zlatan, who has his own personal fitness coach. Everyone should hire that guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. when Zlatan retires, there's going to be a massive bidding war for that guy's services. Right, well, um, we uh, have a, a an interview for you now. Um, of course, this part of the show is brought to you by uh, the people that back the show at patreon.com slash rankcast. Uh, that enables us to put a bit more time in behind the scenes and do the work uh, it takes to get some fantastic guests. We've had some brilliant guests uh, on the show already and uh, some more excellent ones planned up, planned for the rest of this season. Um, and I was, uh, that starts right now. So let's, let's hear a conversation I had earlier today with Sam Homewood from full-time devils. Well, we're absolutely delighted to be joined by Sam Homewood. Uh, Sam will be no doubt familiar to many of you from his excellent work with Manchester United YouTube channel, full-time devils. I can't imagine there's too many people listening to this that don't know what that is. How are you doing, Sam? I'm really far too complimentary in your introduction. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. I couldn't be happier to be talking to you. One of my favourite people on the whole internet, Sam. Oh, thanks very much. <laughs> um, uh, so, um, so tell us a bit about uh, when, when did you sort of start supporting United? Um, do you know, it's very strange. And I don't know, and I've answered this question a lot. And I really don't know. My granddad, who is, because I grew up in southeast Kent, so occasionally 
people on the internet will throw Cockney Red at me as an insult. Mm-hmm. I have to point out that I actually grew up so close to the coast that I'm 60 miles south of London where I grew up. So <laughs> even Cockney Red makes me more northern than I am. <laughs> so it's just wrong to, to go over that. Um, my granddad, who, who grew up down there too, is a, is a Wolves fan, like a diehard Wolves fan, and I've no idea why. And so my dad, when he was growing up, who was a motocross rider and wasn't really that interested in football, um, just wanted to support a team, I think, that wound his dad up and picked Manchester United. And then when I was growing up, my granddad was endlessly trying to make me a Wolves fan when I was like, you know, like two and three and four. So he'd like try and buy me kits and stuff. And my dad, just just out of just wanting to wind his own dad up, would buy me Man United kits. And I once I was able to form sentences and have a memory, I just fell in love with what I saw, which was Eric Cantona and David Beckham and Ryan Giggs and Paul Scholes and that whole wonderful group of individuals who made football for me so exciting when I could first understand what this game was. And I don't know, you, you, you can choose your friends and everything. Kind of just like Cantona says, you can pick your family and you can divorce your wife and, but you can't change your football team and that's it. It's just, that's who I fell in love with and it's never changed. So what were your sort of, what were your sort of dominant memories of those early years of supporting United? Um, mostly I was obsessed with David Beckham. So watching him do anything was exciting for me because he seemed really cool and I was a child. Um, and it was, it was, I think it was just the, the, the number of different, I mean, it's, I mean, it's probably no different to any kid who watches, I don't know, Chelsea or Arsenal or Manchester United. Now it's true of any football team, but the array of goals that could be scored from the number of people and how many of them were brilliant. Like, the goals coming from all across because the, there's nothing more exciting in football than goals I don't think and watching all these different brilliant people score all these different brilliant types of goals was just wonderful and I think that's that's the thing I remember just just goals just I have these visions of goals that, that if I think about now I've no right to remember but I can remember them and I shouldn't be able to because I should have been too young. I mean, you, you say you thought David Beckham was cool because you were a child. I'm basically the same age as David Beckham and we all thought he was cool too, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. uh, what's your favourite kind of goal? Oh, there's the question. Um, I like goals that come out of the blue. So, like, uh, two that instantly come to mind. It's Ronaldo versus Porto in the Champions League and him versus Arsenal in the Champions League because they're both, both completely different types of goal. Um, I mean the counter-attacking goal versus Arsenal, not the free kick. Just, but just goals that came from nowhere that you just can't imagine how that happened so quickly when nothing was on. I love a counter-attacking goal. I think they're fantastic. Yeah, they they were the thing I think we missed most in the Van Gaal era in a way. They just, they, yeah. I think there was one like that Martial goal against Stoke. I can't think of another yes. one. Yeah. Yeah, it was because possession-based play denies counter-attacking football, doesn't it? Um, but now we've got a manager who is certainly not averse to a counter-attack. Where did you stand on the whole Mourinho issue before he came? I, I, um, I, I mean, we, I was asked endlessly on full-time devils, and I, my attitudes are that I always, I think, respected Mourinho, but I never clamoured for him at Old Trafford. Although when Fergie announced his retirement, I imagined to myself if all of the managers in world football were sat in a room, like like a press conference, say, and Fergie's on the on the on the at the microphone, he says, "Right, I'm retiring. Who wants my job?" I think Mourinho would have been the first hand up in that scenario. Yeah. I mean, David Moyes would have yeah. been—he'd have gone fetal in the corner. <laughs> um, 
that we didn't get him first time round did, did annoy me because I think he'd have wanted it more than anybody else and therefore been most likely to succeed, I think. Um, but I was glad we got him in the end. Um, but equally, I, I'd have been, there's lots of managers, I think, that would have been that would have been better than the years of Louis van Gaal. Although I really liked Louis van Gaal. I found him so much fun. It's a, I hated the football. I hated sort it. Sort of an adorable but, man in a way, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. So some of the things he said were brilliant. But the the football was 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 painful. Uh, what have you made of Mourinho's start? I mean, this is a good time to be asking that question, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I was one of these, I think, stupid people who said, "What Mourinho, Pogba, Ibrahimovic, we're going to walk the league." Yeah. And I thought we'd be first or second all the way through. Um, but uh, I mean, I don't I, I don't really know the ins and outs of what happened with Mourinho at Chelsea. But certainly, when he left there, he wasn't. Do you know, I read an article that I thought was interesting that when he left, it was written by a Chelsea fan about Mourinho joining Manchester United. And although it came from a completely biased place, I think some of it was true and it concerned me at the time, but I'm okay with it now. And it said that if you described Mourinho in 2005, 2006, when he, after winning his first couple of titles, and even when he left Chelsea, the words you'd have gone with would have been like cheeky and charismatic. Um, but he doesn't really have that persona anymore, I don't think. He's, 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 as he's got older, I think maybe some of the charm that we all imagined he had has disappeared. And he seems, or he seemed at, at, at times to be a slightly more bitter character. But I think, and I, when I first read that, I was like, oh, that's, is, that, is that true? I don't know. Um, but I don't think it is. I think he's doing excellently. I just think people underestimated the issues that were at Old Trafford. And the quality of the squad, because actually, I don't want to, you know, there's no point picking on individuals. But if you look at some of the players in our team, like I, my brother sent me a stat earlier saying that Matter since since Matter joined, he's got just he's just second for most goals and assists in that period on behind Wayne Rooney. And then you think, but since Matter joined, who else has there been? Van Persie left. Falcao Di Maria came and left. There's no there's no consistency at all. So for Mourinho to come in. And it instantly be a success would be as, as though he was joining an already successful side that's been playing well and just needs a bit of fine tuning. But actually, we're, we were a real mess. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that I think I thought what was ha- what is happening now would have happened earlier in the season in a way. Yeah, me too. I mean, what Mourinho says is that it did happen earlier in the season and that there was, you know, like the Stoke game, the Burnley game. Those were those were. Those were evidence that what was happening, what is happening now, was already happening. Um, but it's become it's become abundant, it's become inarguable, hasn't it? And and one of the big reasons for that is the performance of the of last summer's signings. Um, yeah. Can you ever remember United upgrading their quality so dramatically in one go? No, no. I think we've tried before. I think there was a summer that we bought Ashley Young and Phil Jones. <laughs> What a heady but, days, heady days. Yeah, been, I mean, there were some crazy years, but no, I don't think that's ever happened. I mean, the Di Maria, Falcao, um, who else signed that summer? Herrera, Shaw, Blint. Yeah, that, I mean, that that could have been, but it wasn't really what, what like what's happened now. They didn't have that impact. Like Di Maria was so sketchy and Falcao was so anyway. Um, he was a trier though, wasn't he? But no, I don't think that, I mean, do you know what? I love watching Paul Pogba play football. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? It's a real joy. It, what, have you, what, do you, what do you think he brings? What's special I about him? I think 
he has that thing, like in the same sense that, like if you watch Juan Mata, when he when he hasn't hasn't got the ball, he always seems a little bit ahead. So everything he does is so quick. But Pogba manages to do that in such so many areas of the pitch. Like, and I think maybe that stands out because Wayne Rooney has suddenly he slowed down so much that every time he got the ball, the speed of play died around the final third. But with Mata, that that's so different. But Pogba does it everywhere. Just every time he has the ball, he either will casually beat two men and knock it on, or just straight away will move the ball on. I just think he's really good. And I like watching him do things. Something that a lot of people might be interested in is how you uh, got into the YouTube stuff. Because, I mean, did you expect it to be as big as it's become when you started doing it? No. <laughs> Not in a million years. I don't know. I, d- I still don't know why people watch. <laughs> <laughs> um no, I don't know, really. It's it's really fun, as I'm sure you well know, to make stuff about something you really love. Yeah. You just do it because it's fun and it's better than anything else you can be doing with your time. Um, but I don't know. I have no idea how it happened. I, was, I, I joined the ship at about 3,000 subscribers, and it's now on, I don't know, 350,000 or something ridiculous. And I, I don't know how that happened. It's very strange. Um, how did you how did you join the ship? What happened? Do you know, I've no idea. I've had this conversation with the people that were there when I first came into play, and I still don't know how it happened. All I remember is I to to test whether or not I was suitable or capable, I had to argue for sixty seconds about why Arsene Wenger would make a worse lover than Sir Alex Ferguson. <laughs> and I used Wenger's terrible ability to do up a zip as evidence that he would be fumbly and not know what he was doing. That seems like a solid argument. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I took it seriously. <laughs> you got it, haven't you, in that situation? Yeah, Alex Ferguson's very passionate and always trying to give you a little bit more time. Good. See? It's no wonder you got the gig, Sam. <laughs> yeah, that's how it happened. Yeah, apart from that, no idea. Um, so how do you cope with the fact that every time you go to Old Trafford, like at least 70% of the people there probably know who you are? Let's say let's say let's say 40% just to factor in conservative. What's nice is what, what usually happens is I hold people's phones and take pictures of them with Adam McCola. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually my role, which is nice. I've got an iPhone. I always have an iPhone. It's nice to look at the other options. What's been the best phone you've used to take a picture of Adam McCullough and some stranger? Someone had something that was enormous. It was like a laptop, but it was, they assured me it was a phone. I don't know what it was. I don't know where it came from. I've never seen one before. I still haven't. It was amazing. It was massive. It was like a TV. Whenever I go anywhere with Adam, I'm always struck by what it must be like for that many people to know what you look like. Um, and yep. I mean, I, I know you sort of, <laughs> you say he, you fade into the background in that situation, but you must get quite a lot of that too, Sam. Not, not, not that. I mean, the other day I was on the tube and some children started singing the Thunderbirds theme tune at me because at the weekends I present Thunderbirds. <laughs> um, I mean, that was quite interesting. That's more fun. I think than people trying to take pictures of you with massive, big objects, but I know Adam's basically in one direction when he goes to Old Trafford. <laughs> Um, so what's what does the what does the future hold for you and football? Like what what are your what are the things that you would like to do in in it? Do you know? I don't know. And for a, such a long time, I always said I didn't want to to sort of pursue 
too much of a, a career in the world of sport in terms of trying to find work in it. I just want to enjoy it. And I think if I did it in work, then I maybe wouldn't enjoy it so much because you'd get the stresses and strains and the routine of work. So I don't know. I don't really have any plans at all for 2017. I just hope that United keep winning. And and do you think that we're going to keep winning? Yeah, I do. Uh, the only thing that's annoying is I also think the teams above us will keep winning. Yeah. So I think we can make the top four and I think we might be excellent for the rest of the season. Um, but I fear that we slip too hard, far behind in the first half. And um, what, what's your sort of maximum hope? Where do you think, what's, what's your kind of dare to dream finish? I mean, how ridiculous is this? But I can't see us coming higher than third. Yeah. It's only halfway through the season. What a pathetic thing to say. <laughs> We're not a lot of points behind third anymore but no oh, i know but even like even on the expression daring to dream i still can't see us coming higher than third i think we're it's just too many teams that keep winning and everyone's very good the premier league this season seems to have lost its fun factor of all the lower teams beat the big teams that doesn't seem to be happening yeah i wonder if it's uh, a response to leicester in a way the big teams have all kind of strengthened either yeah. through player acquisition or manager upgrades and yeah so what is your, um, who's your favourite United player ever other than David Beckham? Paul Scholes. David Beckham wouldn't be, wouldn't be my favourite player. Paul Scholes would be number one. And then I think uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer would probably be number two. And then maybe Patrice Evra would be number three. Oh, see, what an excellent shout. Number three for the number three. God, yeah, well, it only makes sense. I mean, it's hard not to put Anderson in there. <laughs> I find it so easy not to put Anderson in there. Oh, I loved Anderson. I just always wanted him to do so well. He never did, but I always wanted it so much. Yeah, it was good when he pulled faces at the goalkeeper. That was good. I loved that. I was at um, the, you know, we lost to City in the FA Cup semi-final at Wembley. I was in the, I was, I was in the corner when towards the final whistle, Balotelli started making faces and Anderson floored him with his chest. <laughs> no, so I'm not that I'm advocating violence against Balotelli or anybody else in particular. No. But if it's Anderson, it's different, right? There's a certain innocent charm to it. Exactly. And who's your favourite of the current bunch? Ooh, no, oh, no, Juan Mata. Ah, uh, yeah. You have to think about it. I love that, man. It, it infuriates me. Paul, Paul, weigh in. Why does he not play anymore? Do you think it's a system or do you think it's uh, an ability question? It's definitely a system question. If Mourinho was yeah. playing a number 10, I'm sure he'd be playing Mata every week. And and he's still getting minutes. And he has, yeah. he's played so much since he arrived um, yeah. that actually having a, a period where he's kind of, the pressure isn't all on his shoulders and he can make the kind of impact that he did against West Ham might actually be a good thing. Because, I mean, I, I love Juan Mata. He, he might be my answer too. Um, but I wouldn't pick him over McTerran on the right in a million years, in a four-three-three. No, me neither. So, no. it's hard to see how he gets gets in a four-three-three. Yeah, I mean that's the only spot for him, isn't it? On the right. And my my big matter theory is that we should be rotating him and Carrick, and and rotate switching between the formations. Really. Yeah, that's a good shout. I like that. Uh, you can you can borrow it if you want. I'm, I'm... <laughs> Next time I'm doing a preview. I don't know about you guys, but I really think we should be rotating matter with Karen. <laughs> um, and uh, you you spent the day with him once. I did. It was the greatest day of my life. Although, do you know what? He we we um we we waited at one location, then we were told no. Now he's coming to another location, and then so we went to the other location, and he didn't turn up, and it took a really long time. And we were sort of told it's not happening, and it is happening several times during the day. Then all of a sudden, he just appeared 
and without anybody knowing it was going to happen, and Herrera turned up too. Oh, so you didn't know Herrera? You didn't know you were getting a twofer? No, Herrera just came for lols. That's incredible. It was like it was almost like he just texted Matt, and like, "What are you up to? Um, he's got some media stuff to do. Oh, I'll come. I've got nothing else to do." And he just came just for the fun of it. Uh, the two of them made quite the double act in those videos. They were sensational. I think they have a. What's fun is they have a genuine friendship. I think is why he was there. They had previously just dropped out in the other stuff they'd done that day. De Gea had been there, and he was just there for fun. I um I cited that interview the other day in an article, uh, in some sort of for some vaguely serious journalistic purpose. I wanted to make the point that Juan Mata had picked David De Gea to go on the <laughs> desert island with him instead of Under Herrera because Under Herrera would talk too much. Yeah, which is it's a great quote. It is. It's good. They should that, cite it in more articles. That day was the um, the the day when I first made a video with the puppet versions of. I Hitler love that. Matter. And I was like, oh, this is. I feel my career is diverged somewhat from the career of my friends at Full Time Devils. <laughs> I think yours was better. <laughs> better content. Um, well, talking of talking of good content, thank you very much for joining us on the show. You're welcome. Been my pleasure. Oh, it was really nice of Sam to take the time to do that. A lovely chap. Very, very much a pleasure to talk to Sam. Excellent stuff, and uh, thank you to Sam for joining us. Yeah, uh, so real pleasure. Real pleasure. Uh, we've got a couple of cup games coming up. Uh, love the FA Cup. Me, don't know about you, Paul. Um, always very special, and and uh, got a game against Championship High Flyers Reading at the weekend, uh, and this one's going to have a bit of nostalgia involved in it because Yip Yap Stam is the uh, increasingly successful manager of Reading. Uh, I don't know if you remember, we, we did an interview with Sam Pilger uh, a few uh, weeks ago or months ago on the show, and he used to write uh, Yap Stam's uh, column, ghostwrite Yap Stam's column, and he, he was talking about him as a, as a person, and I don't think Sam was at all surprised that um, Stan was making a, a good fist of it in management because he's a smart guy and he really took his time. He was really patient before getting into management, and it, it looks like it's paying off. Uh, let's hope it doesn't pay off too well for this game. Yeah, I mean, Reading third in the championship at the moment. Um, you know, it's the championship, so everyone beats everyone a lot. They've lost quite a few games this season, but so have Newcastle. And it's really only Brighton that are running away th- with things in the championship at the moment. And and uh, Reading have a good team on a, a very, very mid-ranked budget. You know, they're, they're, they are not a rich club. They've got some new owners or newish owners, Thai owners, who bought out a majority shareholding from John Majewski. Um, and it's been, and you know, there's some talk about them selling up as well. And, and there's been some talk recently about crisis uh, talks between Yapstam and the management. Is he going to continue? There are rumours going around that they uh, Swansea might be coming into high Yapstam. Yeah, I, I would hope he's intelligent, more intelligent than to take that job on. Uh, but it looks like he's got a lot going for him. Of course, it's his first proper management job. He's had assistant jobs at Ajax and uh, another Dutch club before this. But, uh, you know, looks like he's got something about him. Yeah, and, uh, you know, he's... He has that. He has a face that makes it look like he doesn't think about stuff. You know, you got a face like that. People are going to jump to some conclusions, especially with his kind of uh, fearsome on-pitch presence. But uh, he's clearly from the Dutch school, isn't he? He's a very sort of cerebral guy, Yapstam. Um, and so, yeah, not 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 such a shock that he's yeah cerebral guy. And if you're a player at Reading, you're not going to 
Tim, are you? <laughs> now, come on. You said you weren't going to swear all the way through this show. You've made Tom have to do a bleep there, Ed. Yeah, but, you know, people know what I mean. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, he, look, he's going to command respect, especially at that level. I mean, he's won absolutely everything, Yapstam. Um, and uh, in- interesting, he, you know, he's been talking a little bit about his departure from United again, echoed Fergie's thoughts and said that it probably wasn't, you know, the right time for him to leave when he did. Uh, Ferguson has, you know, admitted in the aftermath that uh, he sold Stam too early. He did sell Stam too early, definitely, mm-hmm. um, uh, because he had a very good career after that. He went to Lazio and Milan and then back to Ajax, you know, played for a long time after that at the top level. Might have cost him a, a, a maybe a league title or two because it wasn't long before the, the rot sort of rot. We didn't win the league for three seasons. And we used to call that rot back in the old days. Um, but it didn't take long after he left for it to get wobbly. But I, I would suspect it probably cost us a European Cup run or two, you know, a real deep European Cup run, not having Stam. He, he made an enormous difference, didn't he, right. at, the, at the very elite level. And then as for Reading, doing well. Um, i got to admit, I'm going to pull a shearer here. I don't know much about the championship. Don't watch a lot of it. Um, so uh, what, what about you? I, I noticed Paul McShane is at Reading these days. They definitely, definitely play in blue and white hoops. Definitely. Stripes? Hoops. Hoops. I'm I'm going with hoops. And they're probably based in like Buckinghamshire or something like that. Uh, yeah, Reading, I reckon. I reckon they, they are actually based in, in, uh, in Reading. They've got Jan Kermagant, who uh, was instrumental in getting Bournemouth promoted. And they're, they're fresh off, you know, a, a, a decent run of results. They've... Uh, you say everyone beats everyone in the championship, which they, of course, do. But, you know, they won three in a row over Christmas, Reading. Um, yeah, and, and a very good comeback for the the last victory, you know, winning 3-2 at the weekend. So um, in a decent spell of form. Be interesting to see the approach from both managers to this one. So, you know, logically, United win this one easily, but also logically, Mourinho makes six or seven changes, uh, as he should. The one change I'd really like to see, because I think... I think you play a nominally weaker team against Reading in the third round of the FA Cup than you do in in the League Cup semi-final, which I, I suspect Mourinho will probably play something of a full-strength team in that game. Um, now, I wonder whether we'll see either Rashford or Martial up front uh, in, in this game. I would love to see that because I think they've both sort of proven they deserve a chance up there, really, with their recent performances. They do. Um, they've both got to play, surely. Um, and yeah, and, and Zlatan does not need to play in this game. I mean, for God's sake, he's 35. Give him a rest. He's barely had yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a rest this season. I know he doesn't need it because, you know, he's he's uh, post-human in some way. Um, but uh, yeah, um, elsewhere, it's, it is kind of difficult to see all the changes because, you know, Mourinho is working with a reasonably small squad, isn't it? You know, is he really going to bring back Schneidlin and Schweinsteiger for this game? I mean, he's not, he's not looked like giving them a sniff at all. Uh, and outside of that, you know, Luke Shaw, if he's fit enough, will get a game. Rooney, if he's fit enough, will get a game. Fellaini and Wan Mata will come into the team. Sergio Romero will start. Ashley Young, maybe, maybe not, you know. And a few players that haven't, you know, Michael Carrick definitely gets a rest, definitely gets a rest. Maybe we see Tim Fosu-Mensa, maybe. Um, but apart from that, you know, it's quite a thin first-team squad at the moment. Yeah, it is. And and this is a, a kind of key point, really, in terms of what we were talking about earlier with the race for fourth because and, and the kind of consistency that we can maintain because... 
to a large degree. I mean, there, there was pretty hefty rotation, but the rotation is in certain spots. There are certain players who we just can't afford to lose. And you wonder whether one of those is Michael Carrick. Although, of course, he didn't play against Borough and we were perfectly, you know, we made a lot of chances and did very well in that game by the end of it. So, you know, uh, it was very funny that Michael Carrick posted a picture of himself eating an ice cream on Christmas Day saying it's never too cold for an ice cream, all wrapped up. And then he was missed a game on the Boxing Day with illness. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Yes, but of course, you know, uh, illness is a virus, um, <laughs> not about the, the coldness of the food you eat, Paul. Just, you know, no. med- medical information there. No, no, but if you lower your core body temperature, your immune system has to kick in to raise the core body temperature. So you might be temporarily compromised in that situation. He might have got brain freeze. Maybe that's why he wasn't fit enough for the game. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, does Mourinho dip into the pool of players here, even deeper into the reserves? I mean... Uh, Twins AB, Joe Riley, Regan Paul, all, all deserve some time, I think. Uh, um, this, this, the uh, the possibility that we could uh, just play the under-18s, <laughs> just play Tahith Chong and Angel Gomez, let him run riot. Um, no, I mean, I, I don't think he'll do that, to be honest, because I and I also don't think we would win if he did. I, I think this needs to, this is a game that needs to be taken seriously. It needs a decent strength team and there are enough kind of fringe players to you know enough people that need a game uh or or, or need a start let's say I mean you know Juan Mata hasn't started a game for ages uh so you just like build the team around him with Martial or Rashford up front uh maybe even play Memphis on the left although it seems remarkably unlikely he's ever going to play for us again um he's surely going to be off soon um, so yeah, we'll see. Yeah, Memphis's New Year's message not a great look. Not a great look. Gotta say, don't think that's doing it. You know, let's make fun of this hat uh, and swim around in my luxury pool. But I think, I think it's in a way like he's probably just sad. He's probably just looking for a bit of an outlet because his absolute dream has turned into something of a sort of nightmare. You know, a very well remunerated nightmare, but a horrible couple of years for him, I'm sure. Should have posted a video of himself pounding the streets, working on his fitness. Yeah, well, he's done that over and over again and no one's paid any attention. So, you know, uh, he probably just wanted a glass of champagne, to be fair to the lad. Fair enough. Well, that's Reading. And then move on to Hull City in midweek. Um, and I, I'm presuming, you know, as probably a slightly stronger team. But, you know, with Liverpool coming up straight away after that. Uh, it's not that straight away, is it? Well, a uh, weekend after. So. Yeah, but that's you know that's like if it was a Euro, if it was a Champions League game, you wouldn't be playing a weekend side on the like five days before your next game because it's it's Tuesday. I think the whole game is on the Tuesday, and the Liverpool game is on the Sunday. Oh, okay, yeah, um, that's that's not so bad. There, there is some time to rest, but there have been a lot of a lot of games recently. So yeah, let's presume it's uh, it's closer to full strength against Hull. Uh, then with some rotation, I mean, it just has to be at this time of year. I mean, um, I, yeah, I, I think he'll. My my guess is that Mourinho will be gearing up to play the best side he can get out against Hull in the League Cup because I, my guess is that he's going to be really keen on winning some silverware, as he should be. Yeah, absolutely. As he should be. Yeah, and this is a great chance for United because Hull are rubbish. <laughs> Oh, poor old Mike Phelan, eh? He'll get a good... Uh, Yapsan will get a great reception and Mike Phelan will get a very good reception, as he should. Yeah. Uh, oh, and, yeah, uh, Hopefully some people send some balloons his way. <laughs> 
<laughs> Do you remember when Mike Phelan said basically he was in charge for the last several years of Fergie's career? Yeah, I think he may have been misinterpreted there somewhat, but yeah, yes. Yeah. I think he was too. Uh, are... Anyway, uh, uh, predictions for these two games? What, what do you reckon? Well, Hull have got a minus 27 goal difference in the league this season. And the last time I checked, minus 27 is a bad goal difference. Um, I think we are only narrowly going to beat Reading. I think they will be, as they have been for much of the season, they'll be quite well organised, etc. Um, so I think uh, maybe like a... But like even maybe like a two-one win over Reading, something a bit a bit of a scrap to get through, and then I think we'll beat Hull three-nil in the in the semi-final, giving ourselves uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic hat trick. There you go. Very nice. I'm going to go for a couple of comfortable wins. I mean, if it had been Van Hull, I'd I'd agree with you against Reading, but you know, Reading score goals, ship goals. Um, so I, I'm thinking United will score a few in this one. Maybe Reading get a. Get one, so I'm going to I'm going to say a three-one win against Reading and okay. a three-nil win against Hull. Going to easy. Nice, nice. Well, that's a six-one aggregate for us uh, in the next couple of games. But that's hey, that's just how we roll now. Between rant casts, Man United win two games. It's just it's just the way of the world now. It's just what we do. We're good. We're good again. It's nice, isn't it? And you know, even though the West Ham game wasn't great, the truth is, all joking aside, we are good. Like, watching us is good. The players are good. The team's good. There's things wrong. But there were things wrong all the way through the Fergie years. And for the most part, we are pretty, pretty good. Uh, yeah. Um, well, that's it for this week. And uh, in the meantime, while you're enjoying United Spank, Reading and Hull, uh, you can catch me on Twitter at uh, United Rant and Paul at UTU Rantcast and Paul on Bleacher Report doing his listicles and slideshows and uh, other stuff. Uh, and Paul, on no, no other, no other stuff. No anymore. other stuff. Just the listicles, and <laughs> nice. they are top quality listicles. Let me tell you. Thanks, brother. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if if listicles is your thing, this is the place to go. Um, you max it. Still doing stuff for you max it. it certainly am. Yeah, uh, that's great fun, and they're proper articles too. So. And a turn or two on full time devils, and uh, and uh, if you want, you can pay him ten pounds and go to see a game with him. No, <laughs> that's nothing. Definitely not a thing. But you can uh, pay us for doing this show at patreon.com slash rankcast and get cool stuff for it, like mugs and T-shirts and amazing art prints and all that kind of stuff. And if you do that already, stay tuned because there's more show coming right now. And we're going to be talking about the Manchester United career of Cristiano Ronaldo. So there you go. Very good. And for the rest of you, we'll see you next week.